a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you again just heard the big voiced guy say, I'm Logan Anderson and I'm a little jealous of his voice, but right now we are bringing you the podcast. And there's a new way to get the podcast. I should tell you about that before we get too far. We are now on Google Play Music. So you can now subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on the webpage, saythedamnscore.com, or you can get updates on Twitter or Facebook. Leave a review, leave a comment, whatever you want or don't, if you really don't want, especially if you have something mean to say. That's enough of an introduction right now, as we are joined right now by Curtis Anderson. He is the voice of the Sioux City Musketeers, a junior hockey team in Sioux City, Iowa, and he has a lot of interesting aspects to his career, so... Curtis, first of all, I just want to say thanks for coming on and giving us a little bit of your time. Hey, not, that's not a problem. I I could talk about myself. I mean, why not? <laughs> that is one of the things I found about this podcast is you really don't have to be a good interviewer when you're talking to other radio people <laughs> because they're already pretty good at filling time. One of the things I ask everybody on this, just as an icebreaker to start off the show, is what was your first break into the industry. I know you went to Brown Broadcasting School in the Twin Cities. What was your first break to get your first job in radio? Well, and for people that, that know Brown, um, you know, I went to college and then I went to Brown Institute, and a big part of it was uh, they did a placement. They uh, will find jobs for you, and that was a good thing. My first job was in 1994 uh, in a town called Neosho, Missouri. And if people are familiar with like Joplin, Missouri, uh, it was 15 miles south of there. And uh, I started, and of course, in radio, you do absolutely everything. And uh, then you hope to get some sports in there if that's what you want to do. So I was a news director. I was a sports director. I was voice of anything Neosho, Wildcat Athletics, and then I also was the play-by-play for uh, Crowder College, a little tiny college. It was uh, a JUCO college. We called basketball uh, only. They didn't have football down there, but uh, it was uh, it was a waking-up period of, hey, you do absolutely everything. I did that to news to I did what's called the swap shop where if you have something to buy sell trade or whatever uh please call this number that kind of thing and it was uh uh i thought it was a really good thing because you did do absolutely everything going to the brown institute i want to talk about that because there's a lot of ways to get educated in this industry you can go to i know some many successful people who went to four-year college like you did a lot of them skipped that, went right to a broadcasting school or got some experience mm-hmm. somewhere along the way where they were able to finagle their way into the business. How many years was Brown? Oh, for me, um, 
it you could do it as a two-year deal. I did it as a one because I already had my undergrad degree. I uh, majored in speech comm, and then uh, at the University of Minnesota at the time, a lot of things were getting cut, including radio. So I had a focus in TV, and so uh, I, if I wanted to get into radio, I'd have to go and do something else. And what Brown did for me was uh, hands-on. You learned everything. Um, it, you had air shifts. You did all that kind of stuff, and obviously you took classes as well and got you prepared for, like, hands-on type of deal because, you know, I, nothing against four-year schools, and a lot of them do it well. In fact, Morningside does a nice job, is, you know, get you some experience and then get you out there, shows you how to go get a job and that kind of thing. Being from the Twin Cities, ending up in Neosho, Missouri, probably not high <laughs> on your radar, was there any kind of second thoughts or objections at the time about moving to the middle of nowhere, or were you always willing to do that? Because in this, in this industry, you kind of have to be willing to move at some point. Oh, exactly. If I ever thought uh, I, I was going to get some gig in Minneapolis, that's where I was living at the time, um, then you're completely crazy and probably uh, either that or you know someone really well. Because, I mean, the, the job is not only work hard, try to work your talent, but you also have to know the right people at the right time. But, uh, yeah, it was a shell shock, though, coming from Minneapolis to a town of 15,000. I'd never lived in a, in a small town. I was always, I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota, a uh, suburb of Minneapolis, and then lived in Minneapolis. And I uh, found out in a hurry that uh, every, you know everybody, uh, you do everything, and it was... Uh, it was a great experience, though. It really kind of got you to a small town that, you know, that I'd never experienced. Give us the Cliff Notes version of the other stops on your way to where you are now, where you're self-employed, you're the voice of the Sioux City Musketeers, and you're very, very successful. But give us the intermediate stops and where you went before you made it to that point. Well, I, you know, and, and a lot of people made a lot of stops, Um I was planning on doing the same thing. Um, I stayed in Neosho for two years. And, you know, and what you say is, uh, you know, you're always looking to go up or go get a bigger, better job or whatever the case was. But they, uh, you know, my, my, uh, the people that told me, was like, you really need to stay somewhere, um, maybe for a couple years or whatever. And so I stayed two years there. And then I, got a job where they love their sports, but it got away from the college side, which was the downside, but covered absolutely everything in a, in a Tumwa, Iowa. And a Tumwa, Iowa is, uh, in an old, Oh, I think it was 25 to 30,000 people in it, but boy, did they love their sports. So I stayed there for three years and, uh, um, kind of looked around. I, I never was, I'm like, you know, enjoy where you're at, uh, because otherwise you'll regret it later. And so then I got an offer to come up to Sioux City, Iowa, which I thought twofold, very good. I'm closer to family and friends back in the cities, which would be just a quick four-hour trip. Um, and I started off being a program director slash sports director, and I, um, covered Morningside College. That was back when they were Division Two, 
And so that was kind of the hook that got me up to Sioux City was to cover uh, NCAA Division II football, basketball, all that kind of good stuff. And so I stayed here, did all kinds of great radio from programming all kinds of different uh, genres. Um, I think I was a program director at, for two stations most of the time and an assistant news director because I actually had a staff then. And uh, then we went to all sports. I shoot. I think it's it turned around. I what happened was I was silly enough to go buy a house. So I, you know, usually you're renting uh, and moving and all that stuff. And uh, so I, I think it was ten years with with uh, it was called Radio Works. It turned to Clear uh, Clear Channel. Now it's iHeart Media, and everything was downsizing across the board, whether whatever stations you're at, it was save money rather than expand coverage. So it all worked out for me was then that's when I turned around and uh, left the radio, but turned around and became their best customer uh, on the sports station, Fox Sports 620. And so what I do now, it, it started off with a two-hour show in the afternoon, and we did a bunch of high school games. And then what we do is we, my, my group, the guys that work for me, they, they sell advertising. We lease time, and we sell advertising, and we cover games. So we do about 50 high school games between basketball and football. And then uh, we do a sports show Monday through Friday. We expanded it to two sports shows Monday through Friday. And uh, then we have separate contracts with different things. One of them is hockey that I cover uh, the Musketeers. I did the Sioux City Bandit indoor football team for about 10 years. And then uh, we've had contracts with Morningside to cover their stuff as well. So we provide the, I guess, uh, we call it talent sometimes, uh, but we, we, we do all the play-by-play, color commentary, that kind of stuff. And that's kind of where we're sitting right here. And I think that's part of why I'm still in Sioux City is because uh, I turned from a worker to a, a, a business owner and kind of do the whole thing of radio in a small fashion. So when you made the decision to leave being an employee – and start being your own employer and lease your time. I guess what went through your head at that time, because obviously that's a pretty big risk. You don't have the big corporation to fall back on if you, for whatever reason, can't sell sell your show. Mm-hmm. What was the thought process to making your own show, and what steps did you take to make that a reality? Well, conversations, obviously. Um, I mean, where I lease my time, where your sports show, the company's called Your Sports Show, and where I lease my time is the stations that I worked with. So I knew everybody there very well, very comfortable with the general manager all the way down. And it was kind of a win-win for both sides in this. They don't pay me a salary, and they collect a check from me every month. And then I turn around, and then the big risk, obviously, is you better sell the darn stuff. You better have your, your uh, advertisers. And in Sioux City, knowing people over the time, you kind of make, uh, re- you know, you make relationships, period. And, you know, you have conversations, hey, what if, blah, 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 because you don't want to be stranded with no uh, 
no no advertisers and sitting there, you know, sucking water basically because no matter what, you're paying your bills. And so I, I think it's just knowing people like one of my my great sponsors is Bob Rose Point After. And and Bob Rowe, I mean, the guy is nothing but uh an amazing guy who supports sports and sports uh, supports local sports. And when you have conversations with someone like that, it, it makes it easier. And don't get me wrong, it's it's still I still go I, I think we're pretty well established now, but you know, it's still scary because you know, you could fail tomorrow. <laughs> and uh I guess it also makes it exciting, you know, people that are on radio or TV, you like that excitement bug where hey, uh it's all on you, you know, and the risk we're reward and and it's been a nice reward because we do what we do and uh we have a good bunch of people that uh you know have passion for what we do and i th- i think that's what it takes and then your advertiser knows and sees that you have passion for something that's really good and in, in a town like Sioux City where uh it's small enough where they really love their high school sports and that's that's kind of our bread and butter and and i think uh we try our darndest to do you know what we can to to give a high school kid give a local college kid um props what they do you know what all those great things that they do I, we love it and and i think it shows that we have passion for it and that's that's how it's gone it, but again like i said it's there's always risk we could always fail tomorrow and then uh who knows what's next you know Learning sales, I don't care if you already have some of the pre-established relationships, I'm sure that there was a learning curve going from on-air to having to sell your own show. What was that like, and what were some of the challenges that you ran into? Well, it it helped. One of my big first conversations was uh, with one of the guys who is on air with me, and he does a lot of sales for me, is Mark Carley. And me and Mark did a lot of banded games together. Uh, I think we kind of spitballed all the way from a trip for uh, the Sioux City Bandits to um, a town in Michigan, a small town in Michigan, and really went over everything. And Mark has been in sales, um, shoot, sales slash sports for much longer than me. And he's a sales guy. And talking with him how to sell it how to it, it basically you're selling yourself and if you try your darndest at what you do and sell yourself it's a lot easier and so um i and i think in broadcasting you're selling yourself to your audience anyway i mean like you doing a ball game or what have you you're selling yourself right there and so you get with people and i you know those first couple of years were like Hey, we got some sales. Woo, you know, but having partners like a Mark Carley and a Steve Bates who knows absolutely everyone around Siouxland, it it sure helps. You got to get next to the people that everybody knows. You kind of alluded to this and I want you to expand on it a little bit, but you have you obviously can't do all of this by yourself covering a hockey mm-hmm. team full time. You talked about some of your staff members. I'm obviously kind of one of them. I do morning side games for you right now. How did you decide on on the staff that you hired, and how much turnover do you have? And 
how much of a constant challenge is that aspect? <laughs> well, that, that is definitely a challenge. And, and we have good people. Um, good people in the fact that they have passion for, and I keep saying the word passion, and I think that's really what it is, is passion for the sports, the local sports, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Turnover-wise, I've had a core that's been from the beginning. I, I guess I go Steve Bates and Mark Carley from the beginning. Um, teaching a class at Morningside helped because then I got young people that came over and stayed a year or two. And I, I don't ex- expect them to stay a long time because they want to go to bigger and better things or what have you. And so I've gone through a few slash interns into real workers to, you know, everything in between. But the other side, too, and um, I haven't mentioned this yet, but we've had just tremendous support from the local coaches. Now, these coaches uh, will cover games. They will come on and do the show uh, or be more than willing to come on for interviews and stuff like that. I mean, they they uh, give their time because they believe in the support for local sports. And so uh, how many coaches we've used for the sports show or color commentary or what have you, and it's a great thing all the way around. Obviously, everyone knows the coaches locally. And they know the sport, obviously. And so uh, that's been a big help because they're always willing to say, hey, I want to promote my team. And because, you know, that's part of their deal. And they're willing to come on once a week or help out with the show because uh, they, they like the idea of promoting local sports. Anytime you take a venture like this on, Certainly you want to be rewarded by making more money than you did as just a normal radio uh, broadcaster at some point. I'm not certainly asking you for anything specific, but how long did it take you to reach a place where you were financially happy with the decision you made? Logan, are we ever satisfied? (laughs) Um, eh, I... I didn't take a salary for the first year, uh, and it sure helps to maybe have saved some money over the time being. Um, you know, anything that came in the door went to broadcast equipment or what have you. Um, that was awfully tough. <laughs> um, not uh, not uh, taking anything for me, and you know, but you kind of see something coming in that opportunity of what you want to do. And then you, uh, go on the cheap as much as possible. And heck, I still am on the cheap. I try to get, uh, as cheap a labor as possible. That's <laughs> but, why you uh, have me, right? It, it, it took a, a couple of years to be in a comfortable position. Uh, and I, I say comfortable. It's, you know, nothing lavish, but my lavish is I, uh, can do what I love. And I can pay a mortgage, uh, you know, I can, you know, pay for my car payment or something like that. But uh, it's never going to be a lot of money, but it's it's enough to uh, to live by and uh, and enjoy what you're doing. I mean, my goodness, uh, we we how many hours a week do people put in? If you don't love your work, it's going to be a tough, tough, you know, how many years does it take to retire now? 40, 50? <laughs> What's something that surprised you both positive and negative about being your own boss? 
Oh, uh, well, positive is we, we've had a lot of support. And uh, positive is kind of funny because, you know, in my situation, you know, most radio stations go by numbers, um, how many time spent listening, all that kind of stuff. Well, unless you, um, let's see, unless you pay for that service, uh, you can't use those numbers, first off. And in our business in sports, our ratings are never going to be good. But how many people will come up and say, oh, I listen to the show all the time. And I'm like, really? Because you, you just don't know. Um, the negative, oh, gosh. You know, there's always hurdles every every uh, week. And it's, um, everything's on you. So guess what? You know, when Joe Blow is not going to work this week, you deal with it. Um, uh, but it's not that anything's surprising because if you're in, I guess, and you're in the radio uh, side of things, there's really no such thing as, hey, guaranteed I'm going to have this time off. And and you're going to have to find it somewhere. You know, like my Sundays, I usually uh, plug my phone and don't look at it, you know, because uh, it's a Monday through Saturday job. Um, whether it's on my own business or slash working for the radio station, um, I could tell you, oh, I can't even come up with a number of how many weddings, birthdays, um, special occasions I missed because, um, you know, like it or lump it, the job is the job. And if you have um, a tournament or something you're covering and it's Thanksgiving or you have a tournament and it's Christmas time or during the summer or what have you, uh, the job's first the way it is. Otherwise, you're going to fail. And so you send a card and say, I wish I was there. You know, um, you don't see family as much. Uh, you better have an amazing wife that understands that uh, our date night is going to be on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh, I guess that would be the regret, but you kind of know that's coming when you're getting into it. Could you do this in another market if you wanted to? I, I do this podcast to try to learn about other broadcasters and give other broadcasters a chance uh, to learn how different people are successful in different ways. Is this something that people could reproduce in their own market? What would your advice be? Uh, yes, I think it can be. Um, it It is uh, part of what radio has has done is it's cut. It's, it's cut different things that... Um, Radio is still excellent, and it'll never go away, uh, whether it's um, online or what, what, whatever you're doing or a big stick somewhere. But, uh, yes, it can be. Can you reproduce what I actually do here? It has to be a very similar market. Um, it's, uh, it works for me here because I know this market well. I know they have passion. It, it's Sioux City's small enough that they love high school and local college and stuff like that. Um, it can happen in a smaller market. They have tons of passion in small markets, but anything bigger, you might have to change or, you know, change what your product is going to be. If I was down in Omaha, 
uh, we would probably have to concentrate less about high school and more about uh, something that's more major college oriented or something to that fact. You're a product of what, what the community wants. So yes, it can happen. You just have to be uh, willing to give them what they want. You mentioned that when you started into radio, your goal was eventually to work back in the Twin Cities. If somebody from the Twin Cities in commercial radio called with an excellent opportunity for you, are you at the point where you think about taking it, or are you happy with what you do? Uh, I think you better be happy with what you do wherever you're at. If you don't, then you know what? You're not going to be a happy person, period. Um, There is a huge difference. I've had offers to go here and there uh, over the last, you know, how many years now. Um, People are always looking at grass is always greener. Um, I kind of fell in love with Sioux City because, and that's why I'm here, uh, is the people are great. Hardworking Midwest town that loves their sports. Um, I've never been one that I need to be a superstar, I guess. Um, do what you do wherever you're at and do it as best you can. And that's accolades enough there. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever want to live, uh, work in the twin cities. And I don't know if that was my, my goal was probably to get closer to home and family more than anything else. Um, I don't know. I, it's, there is a lot of different things in a big city that you can't do what I do here, you know, and, and, uh, it'd have to be a good chunk of change. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, let's move on from that and talk about, uh, broadcasting hockey. Cause we haven't had a hockey broadcaster on this podcast yet. I don't want to call it a niche <laughs> sport. It's bigger than a niche sport, but, or I should say maybe not everybody has the opportunity to do it while a lot of people can find football and basketball jobs. What is the most difficult part about calling hockey? Oh, uh, speed. Speed with hockey is is absolutely everything. Um, you know, you do prep work, and, and I'm sure you've had people talking about doing prep work on because, uh, to me, teaching a class or calling a game or whatever um, – Prep work is the, by far the most important part of any broadcast. They all have their challenges, Logan, but um, with hockey, you've got to know these people. You've got to talk to the coaches how they're going to change their lines. Difference between hockey and something else, they're, they're changing. They could be changing three, five, or whatever without a stoppage of play. And, you know, obviously you need to know the sport. Um, I grew up in hockey, and I was in Minnesota where hockey was very important from a young age, and so uh, I loved following it. I loved watching it, and uh, actually, hockey was one of the things, I'll tell you a story, was when, uh, when I was little, I lived in Bloomington, Minnesota, home of the North Stars, and where I kind of got the bug for a broadcaster, we'd go to North Star games, me and my brothers. And we'd get standing room only tickets because they were cheap. And I would, uh, you would sit below Al Shaver's booth, who was an amazing hockey radio play-by-play guy, one of the best. 
and you listen to him while you watch the game. And so I could hear his picture of the game and see it on the ice and, you know, prove that he's doing such a great job. And so um, that was, shoot, um, you know, I was a young teenager when, I, when we would go do that. And it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. I thought what he did was awesome. Uh, I wish I could do as well as he did. But, you know, I, that, that's where it kind of grew to hockey for me. I really enjoyed it. And I had the opportunity here in Sioux City to, to take over and do the Musketeers. And I jumped at it. And, of course, it takes time. And you, it's that rhythm and quickness that you just have to keep going. You miss a play, guess what? Tough. We're not backpedaling. It's such a fast sport. But uh, it's an awesome sport, though. So if there was a young broadcaster asking you, how do I prepare for hockey? What are some of the key things that I need to be ready for? What would you tell them? Well, you start, you know, and I think it's like any other sport, Logan, is uh, I, I start off with a spot chart. And I have my own. Everyone has their own. And uh, if you don't know the team, you better know the number of that player like it's the back of your hand because it happens too fast for you to look at a roster or something like that. So my spot charts are uh, my own doing is I have everything on and a, a spot chart. We're talking about uh, three lines of forwards, one, two, three, four, and then three, uh, excuse me, four lines of forwards, one, two, three, four, and then three lines of D two goalies. You have everyone in there. And then that on that chart should have absolutely everything as much as possible you need to know. How many goals they scored, how many assists, how many power play goals, where they're from, what's their height, what's their weight, uh, what they do in the last five games, what uh, do they do in this situation. And so you have it quick in front of you. Uh, I could call the Musketeers, uh, but I still update mine uh, – I could call the Musketeers in my sleep because I know those individuals and who's skating where and what have you, but I still update those. It's, it's more of a, a learning process. But the other side is where you need to come up with because the other team is coming the other direction, you know, and you have to know, look, uh, if Joe Blow and Joe Blow is on, probably this other guy is on the ice. You've got to make a quick decision, and you've got to look at the bench who's coming on and off I uh, know the numbers, know the players. And then uh, uh, one other thing I always, I still do is during warmups, I start my play-by-play to myself. It's, it gets you in rhythm. It gets you, Joe Blow's there. He's, he's that tall, lanky guy. It, it's picturing people on and off the ice. And that's where it starts. Um, I don't know if that gives a great answer. It, it's, Similar to other sports, if you're preparing for football, basketball, or what have you. But I, I would say you need to know it even more because it happens quicker. You mentioned that getting coaches to give you information in hockey was particularly crucial. Some coaches are more cooperative than others when it comes to that, at least in my experience. What have sure. you found that maybe has gotten some uncooperative coaches to open up? Mm-hmm. Then uh, one of my biggest conversations, okay, for Sioux City, I have the opportunity, especially on the road, 
to uh, watch game film with the coaches. And I usually am a fly on the wall because I don't want to mess with what they're doing. But I might ask a question here and there. And so seeing it, listening to the what they're trying to accomplish off that game is vital. So I know Sioux City, what they're trying to do. That That's the easy part. You said some are uncooperative. Yes, they are. Um, some are, some aren't. Um, usually really good coaches are pretty cooperative, though, because they know if they did their job right, there's, there's no need to be any secrets. But uh, that's where the other broadcaster comes in. Um, there's a broadcaster on the other team, and they get there. I, I get there at least two hours before broadcast, and I'll have a conversation for a half hour on them. I can pick apart all their numbers and try to guess, uh, and but the better part is going, tell me what defines your team, what, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, another broadcaster, they're in the same shoes. They want to know your team. And so the effort for both sides on broadcasting is how you get around coaches. And sometimes you hear more from that broadcaster than a coach. Um, is it accurate? It's what he sees or she sees, but um, it's a good picture. So now I want to get into some of the fun stuff, some of the uh... – Broadcasting horror stories, as I like to call them, uh, whether that's breaking down on the bus in the middle of nowhere or equipment just going crazy or just jerseys that are completely unreadable. Give us an experience from your long career covering high school and junior hockey and indoor football. I'm sure you have some doozies. Well, okay, we'll start off with broadcasting equipment. Uh, and that happens to everybody. If it doesn't, uh, it'll happen soon. Um, we were in covering, me and Steve Bates were covering the uh, Sioux City Bandits against the Omaha Lancers. And so we went down there. We get there early, all that fun stuff. And uh, it was a transition because, um, what was it, the Omaha Knights of the American Hockey League also used that building. Well, they got up and were done. Uh, I think they were losing money or something like that, and they were moving to another city. Well, in turn, uh, in that same turn, they uh, they were the operators of all the phone lines. They shut them all down, and so we were there, down in Omaha, which is not that far away, but it's far enough where you can't, uh, you don't have much other choices. After dealing with uh, as helpful as they could be to try to find a solution for us. Me and Batesy called play-by-play and color commentary on my cell phone. And, and thank God we had cell phones at that time because I started uh, a whole different way. There was no such thing as cell phones when, when I started. Um, I said, you know, back to pass, he fires over, blah, 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 blah. Handed over to Batesy, who's standing, I mean, we're like about cheek to cheek so we can hear each other. And I just hand my cell phone over to him to do the color commentary he hands it back, and I say, okay, now second down and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was, uh, you got to get past being angry after uh, you're expecting something so much better. Uh, it was a pretty darn good broadcast for what we had. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. And that, that's that's at the uh, indoor league. And I can tell you over and over all the different high school setups I had. Uh, when they said, oh, yeah, there's a phone line, that means there was a, a phone jack. It didn't mean it was active, you know. And so you bring a spool of line, and 
your table might be um, a wood plank that you put your equipment and stuff on and you're in the corner. You look like some weirdo in the corner talking to yourself by yourself. And uh, those are always good. You talked about travel and um, travel is, I can tell you every horror story that could happen with travel. Um, We drove to Michigan once we lost a tire. Now, we didn't have a flat tire. No, we lost a tire, meaning the lug nuts and everything. So you would have a spare. That's fine. But uh, you have nothing to fasten it with on a a big uh, over-the-road sleeper bus. We sat on the road for, shoot, I think it was close to four hours sitting on a bus in the middle of nowhere uh, waiting for another bus to come pick us up. That was a bad one. Um, we've driven through, uh, blizzards, uh, we've driven through, uh, hail and ice storms. Uh, we got swamped in, in Columbus, Ohio. We were there nicely for their biggest snowstorm in a hundred years. It shut down the entire city. And, uh, I called a game. Uh, they probably could hear me echo cause there was no fans there cause we, we got there, so we are going to have that game no matter what because we were going to drive another 12 hours back to come back again. And uh, that was a beauty. Um, oh, there's so many. I, I could sit down and, and chat with you, and you'd probably go, oh, yeah, that one happened to me, or that one happened to me. I remember being, uh, oh, this, this was one of my, my good stories. I was covering Morningside in football, the old North Central Conference. And, of course, Old North Central Conference meant you played North Dakota State, North Dakota, to all those different schools. Well, we drove up to uh, Fargo, and after North Dakota State beat Morningside 42 rip, because they were really nice and didn't uh, put any more steam on top of it, we said, oh, all right, let's get the heck out of here. We go outside, and the bus driver goes, well, Get comfortable. They shut down the highway. So after getting smoked, we had to stay an extra day there. That was a that was a beauty. Um, another Morningside trip. We were coming back from uh, St. Cloud State. Morningside in basketball made the playoffs, and they were going to play either like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So we were hauling back on a Saturday. We uh, the coach wanted to get the team back. We drove down 35 to get to 80, or excuse me, to, what is that? Um, that's 90, isn't it? 90? Or it doesn't matter. Two, Just uh, some 70, road. 70, excuse me. And, and so we're driving where there's no one on the road. It's blizzarding. I mean, it's, you can't see anything. Me and the coaching staff were watching those, those big, tall reflectors on the right side of highways. That's how we determined we're still on the road. And uh, we finally got off an exit, and they said, what on earth were you guys doing? That, that highway has been shut down for hours. Well, we didn't know because we never took an exit. And so we got stopped there for, oh, I think we stayed in Jackson, Minnesota, for the next 12 to 14 hours because they weren't opening the highway. And needless to say, we got back to town late. Everyone was really tired. And Morningside got upset in the first round of the playoffs. (laughs) So that was a beauty one as well. I I could go on and on, but, I mean, those are just a couple. So you don't have the traditional 
deep radio voice that you know you hear stereotypically when you <laughs> see a radio voice being depicted in a TV commercial, but you've obviously been able to succeed despite that. Has that ever been an issue for you, and how have you been able to overcome it? Oh, gosh. Uh, to be honest, and, and when I tell people uh, a deep radio voice does commercials, uh, he's the guy who does the liner, like you uh, alluded to, the guy who introduced you for the podcast. Uh, that's that guy. Um, you can get by that. I would I would say least of your worries is your uh, radio voice, your deep, deep, deep voice. Um, I would allude to the guy who is my favorite broadcaster, and I would argue with anyone sitting down over a, maybe a cold beverage over who's the best broadcaster. But Doc Emmerich, uh, who covers NHL hockey, to me is the best broadcaster um, alive. And what he does in that broadcast is why. It's not his voice. He has a high-pitched voice. It, when he gets excited, it comes up high. He is not doing uh, um, Chevy truck commercials or whatever the case is. But I would listen to him do any sport. Uh, Al Michaels has a great voice, but he's not a big, deep voice uh, broadcaster. Uh, it, I think we all think we need one of those. Um, no, we need to paint a picture and do the best we can and not focus on anything but the job at hand and be surprised at uh, uh, what kind of voice you could have. I've heard some really squeaky voices that have done a tremendous job. You also talked about some of those morning side trips when they were in Division Two and they were getting beaten handily by some teams that have kind of gone the opposite direction. Morningside went down to NAIA, while North Dakota State, mm-hmm. North Dakota, they all went up to NCAA Division One. So you had to cover a lot of blowouts. What is the key to keeping a blowout interesting, both for or against your team? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, worst game I covered for uh, Morningside women's basketball. They were down 42 to nothing. 42 to nothing in basketball. Now, you got to keep repainting that picture. I probably lost all my listeners anyway, but uh, you keep repainting the picture of how amazing the other team is and not how, say, poor yours is. And I think that particular game, I broke away. You break away from the play-by-play is what you do. You break away to telling stories of players and how amazing they are, what they've done. Uh, they're an A student or they uh, play multiple sports or whatever the case is. And that particular game, I I did uh, say over and over how amazing the men's game coming up next was going to be because at that time, Morningside men were pretty darn good. But uh, you, you get away from the play-by-play. If you just keep dragging on play-by-play, uh, you put yourself to sleep. What do you do to this day to become a better play-by-play broadcaster? Uh, be honest to yourself. That's uh, that's the one thing. We all want to be amazing at what we do. Uh, I know this sounds negative, but uh, none of us are any good. We just want to be a little better the next time. 
um, it, it starts, it, it's all prep work. It, it is all prep work and be amazed. Uh, you know, I, uh, my second game on a weekend and we're, you know, 12 hours away, I'm pretty beat. I probably drink way too much coffee at that time, but good sleep, getting prepared. And then if you get there, get all your stuff prepared and then you walk away and relax for a second instead of worrying about what's going to go wrong, um, kick back, get away from your charts and relax and then get set after that. It's, uh, uh, these are all little simple things that I think we avoid sometimes, but, uh, the best way to get better every time is prep work and then be honest, whether the broadcast was good. I can tell you Friday, my broadcast, eh, I, uh, not happy with Saturday, I was happy with it, and I was probably better on Saturday because I wasn't happy with my broadcast on Friday. Take us through your preparation process for, we'll do it for a hockey game, since we've had a lot of other people do football and basketball. Take us through your preparation process when you're getting ready to do a Sioux City Musketeers ball game. Well, uh, I probably shouldn't call I'm behind it ball schedule game. already this week because I have a Wednesday night game. Um Right now, I am going to put together all my charts for that game. I keep going back to charts because that's how I learn myself. You know, there's a lot of times when you, you know, when you take notes in college or whatever the case is, you don't need the notes again, but it's about writing and putting down and printing all that stuff. Uh, so a normal Friday game, I'm going to start on Tuesday. Uh, my Monday usually is not, uh, I, I, I wait I wait until a Tuesday to start at it. That means I'm uh gonna be online uh dragging through notes, uh pushing things, uh looking at articles, looking at what the other team does. I, I'm pretty familiar with uh you know, the Musketeer team, but there's always something new. Um and also Tuesday I wanna put together most of my charts. On Wednesday and Tuesday is uh, my Musketeer Coaches show. That's when I have a conversation with the coach during the, the air and then a, usually a half hour um, after talking about the inside stuff that I just might need to know. I don't necessarily divulge it. It's just stuff I need to know. Wednesday, I'm looking at my charts to uh, go over numbers. Wednesday night, I'm starting to put together my uh, – my pregame uh, of I, I I write out some I bullet note stuff what I need to hit Thursday I take a peek at the charts but then I kind of put them away because um, you need a little break from it and then Friday I put together my entire pregame have my interview set uh, then I get to the rink at five. Um, then I meet with the coach for about a half hour before the pregame interview I taped. And then I go back and look at numbers again. I mean, it's nothing too fantastic, but it's just over and over making sure, um, you're as prepared as you can be, I guess. Like on Saturdays, I'm, I'm listening to, you know, the amazing voice of Logan and Kevin doing a morning sight game while I'm looking at charts. How often in your broadcast do you actually look at your charts? Because I make charts, and for me, once I get into the actual game, I don't really look at them all that often. It's more of just 
the process of making them helps me learn it, like you said. Do you actually use them quite a bit in games? Uh, yes and no. Uh, for hockey, if we want to stick on hockey, um, I'm going to look at the ice and I see the, the line, let's say the opponent's line out there, and um, I see one guy out there. You know, sometimes they're in a muddle and blah, 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 and you get to know the coaches and how much they switch their lines and all that stuff. But um, if Joe and Tim are out there, that means Tom is probably out there. So I might look and see who that wing that doesn't stand out so I know exactly if they're going to do a cross-ice feed, who it's going to be. Um, if I'm not completely comfortable with line number three and four, I'm going to look at my charts. If I'm not comfortable with uh, the third line of D, I'm going to look at my charts as quickly as possible. That's why I keep my charts out, and they're almost in your view, so you can just bob your head down real quick and get reference. You score a goal, I'm going to look at my charts every time because I'm going to tell you um, how many power play goals, how many shorthanded goals, how many um, how many points in the last so many minutes, that information it's kind of your cheat sheet for uh, people going, gosh, he really knows about that team. Well, I kind of do, but I also have a cheat sheet for me. I want to go back to the voice thing that we were talking about a little bit. You come from Minnesota where they have a distinct regional accent, and you don't have it real bad. You can hear it every now and then. Did you ever have to make a an effort to get rid of that, or do you feel like that is <laughs> – an advantage or a disadvantage in any way having a regional accent? Well, if I had a regional accent in hockey, I suppose it would be no big deal because they'd go, oh, that guy probably knows oh, oh, up there then, you know. Um, yes and no. Uh, I can come home after a family gathering at Christmas or something like that, and I don't know. I'm, I'm back to Minnesota talk, you know, with the extra O's and A's and all that kind of fun stuff. But, uh, uh, when I when I moved to Neosho, Missouri, I had a lot of people go, where are you from? And I didn't realize it, but I, I don't think you have to worry about it as long as you enunciate. And I think that's where you get rid of accents a little bit is you're enunciating what you're talking about. But if you have a little in radio, you're all right. Maybe in TV news or something like that, you have to be a little more over-enunciated. I, I lived it more in the city, so it wasn't as strong. You'll get your coaches and O's and A's and stuff like that, but that's usually just uh, – you'll probably hear it from me more if we had a uh, more of a conversation away from the broadcast. It, it probably sticks out more. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to? You mentioned Doc Emmerich, but maybe some of the under-the-radar regional people that – people outside of Iowa and the Midwest might not know about? Oh, boy. Um, well, to me, when I was growing up, and I mentioned that, Al Shaver was the, was the best Minnesota North Star broadcaster I, I uh, could ever imagine. I thought, and I believe he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, he did a, a terrific job, and it wasn't – the one thing about him that was terrific, it was uh, – I could close my eyes and see what was going on. 
Um, my favorite baseball broadcaster, and you know, I can argue with people one way or the other, but it was uh, Jack Buck. Jack Buck. Um, of course, people might know Joe Buck, and that's not the same person by any means. Uh, Jack Buck was a friend on the radio to me, and he called a great game, and he was um, he just painted a picture and had authentic emotion with it. And he, he did the Cardinals for absolutely forever. And, of course, you could hear him on World Series games. And I still remember his call when the Twins won game six of the 91 World Series. And he's like, we'll see you tomorrow. I mean, just simple, nothing flashy um, about his broadcast, except he just told you what was going on. Uh, Herb Carneal was my favorite Twins broadcaster. He did a, an amazing job. I I can't say much about the Viking broadcasters because I'm not necessarily a huge fan, even though I'm a Minnesota guy and a Minnesota Viking fan. Um, oh, shoot. Oh, I can't think of his name. I, I, I need to do my notes. I need to do prep work before this interview, uh, Logan. But uh, there's, been a, there's been a lot. Um, um, I can't think of shoot um what team oh i was thinking of iowa state and it's a gentleman who passed away he um he did basketball and football and you know if someone's listening that's an iowa state fan would know in two seconds but he did a terrific job um northern iowa's broadcaster does a great job up there he uh he really does a great enthusiasm uh, and just calls the game as it is. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of names left and right, and I, I, it doesn't come to mind. I, I know someone's doing a great broadcast when I can picture what's going on, and I'm not focused on the broadcaster. I'm focused on, wow, I can see that play from what that guy said. How would somebody get a hold of you if they had any further questions or want to discuss anything else? Oh, well, uh Easiest way uh, is probably just throw me an email because uh, it pops to my phone. It's Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S, at YourSportsShow.com. It's Curtis at YourSportsShow.com. I'd be happy to talk with anyone. I, I enjoy talking about broadcasting sports, what have you. I mean, if you didn't, why would you be doing what you're doing, I guess? <laughs> Once again, we are visiting with Curtis Anderson here on the Say the Damn Score podcast. He is the play-by-play broadcaster of the Sioux City Musketeers. He is the owner of your sports show, and he's one of the guys who pays me. So that is <laughs> that is why he gets such a, a wonderful introduction and outro. <laughs> but, Curtis, thanks for giving me a little bit of your time today. Oh, not a problem. And the reason you get paid is because you do a good job. That's why it has nothing to do with... Uh, you giving me a nice intro. It's all about the product, and the product right now is very good. So uh, I appreciate you having me on. I, I always enjoy talking about uh, sports and stuff like that. So, um, hey, my pleasure. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. I want to remind everybody to subscribe. You can do so now for the first time on Google Play Music. You can also subscribe on iTunes. You can click on the button on the top right page of saythedamnscore.com and get email updates. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan or follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash saythedamnscore. 
That's it for today's podcast. I'm Logan Anderson. Say the damn score a little bit more.